Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, I get to introduce uh, just who's become a dear friend of mine. Five years ago, I met Chris Conrad for the has very it been first that time. Long? It's been five years, wow. Chris. Five years to the point that you can kick me as you're walking up. Yeah. So, isn't that yeah. great? Yeah. So I love this man. You guys need to know this. Uh, Chris Conrad is with our denomination. He works with the region. Uh, so there are a lot of churches that he has oversight over. And uh, my experience, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the local church. And uh, nobody really loves those people in any other my experience of churches. It's like when the denomination, you're like, uh-oh, what did we do? It's so different here at Frontline, here in the Wesleyan Church. I mean, when I met Chris, uh, right before I met him, I, I still remember this, right before I met Chris, I uh, yelled out my, my office door. I was like, does anybody know who Chris Conrad is? like to all the other staff, because Chris had reached out. I was like, anybody know who that? Everyone came out of their, we love Chris. Like, is he here? No, he's not. I'm just like, who is he? Oh, he's with the denomination. We just love him. He takes care of us. You guys, he has lived up to that expectation and so much more. He's just, he is a gift to our church. He's a gift to our region, to the Wesleyan denomination. And uh, we Do I have to start paying you now? You don't. I'm racking it up. The more words I say, the more he owes me. So I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, but we, we gave him a hard assignment today for this series. And I'm so excited for what he has for you. So would you just welcome Chris Conrad? Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Hey, it's great to be with you, Frontline. How are you this morning? You doing okay? Hey, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you look so good. Wow. You look so good. My goodness, wow, you look so good. And you know what, I, I, this happens all the time to me now that I get a television put behind me. I've always wondered, you know, if I start getting boring, like does football start coming on this television? Um, like, you know, is that the kind of thing that happens after a while? Ah, he's boring, put the game on, okay? Something's gotta be better than this. Um, hey, I just want you to know, and, and you know this already, but you guys are blessed to have some of the most amazing staff. No, don't clap yet, don't clap yet, don't clap yet. You have the most amazing staff in the world. And, and I, just, I, I actually wrote their names down. Because uh, I just, I, Robert, back, you know, the te your, your tech director is amazing. He's got such a great heart. Nick, who you guys may not know, he's a pastoral resident here. He's an amazing young man. God's got amazing things in his future. Corey, uh, who just led us in worship. We just kind of had the Chris Tomlin hour, which was so cool. Um, you know, Brianne, uh, so, so cool that you actually have a marriage and family therapist person here, which is really helpful because your staff and other people need it as well as we all need it. I'm just being funny. Um, Mariah and Cody, oh my gosh. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but I had a little part of, of helping them find this place. And they're an amazing young couple. Uh, Blake, you've got one of the most, you've just got one of the best executive pastors anywhere here. Uh, Jess, who's your mobilization guy, uh, just, uh, again, I love his heart and spirit, just humility. Carol Ann, your worship, who also helps to lead worship. Dave Dorner, who's just one of the, the most gifted communicators I know. Um, just so, so blessed. And I really mean that, Dave. You just, and your, your humble, your, your humility just is awesome. And I really mean that. Stacy Davey, uh, obviously, who helps you and who actually holds everything together, right? She actually runs the church. Um, 
And then, and I was talking to Stacy a little bit earlier, uh, Bill, uh, the video director, Amanda, who obviously works uh, in your kids on the block, uh, and then, and then uh, never last, but except for in this list, is uh, my dear friend and your senior pastor, Brian Bloom, who's speaking at the story this morning. Now, you can just thank them, because you have the most amazing staff in all the world. Can we just say thank you to who they are, because they're just great. Um, they really, really, really are cool. And, um, and I mean this, and you're a great congregation. I really look forward to being here, not just because it's only 18 minutes from my house. Um, and when you oversee 160 plus churches, most of them are not that close. Um, but I, I, I said to the worship team before we came out, some of you are brand new here to Frontline. This is your first time. I got two pieces of good news. Number one, you picked a really good church to come to. Way to go. You picked a great church to come to. And the other good news is that the guy who should be on Ridland and is not will not be here next week. So... You only have to put up with me one week every once in a while. But uh, for those of you who call Frontline your home church, as you walked in this morning, you saw the banner out there with Jesus, and it's got 160 names. There are 160 people that have opened up their hearts to a relationship with Jesus Christ since last Christmas. Do you understand that there would be churches all over the country that wouldn't have one person or two people open up their heart to a relationship with Jesus Christ? You have a church that's actually alive and doing amazing things, and lives are being transformed right in front of you. And praise be to God for that. Like, that is so cool. Can I just tell you, there are really godly people who are a lot more spiritual than I am who attend church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and it's a dead church, and they don't get to see anything alive happening there. You get to see it all the time. So praise God for that. Isn't that cool what God is doing in your midst? Like, we ought to give God praise for what he's doing in your midst. Okay, two more things, and then we get to the R-rated message, which I can't wait for. Um, but two more things. Uh, I, I say this every once in a while when I'm here, um, and I will tear up. I absolutely will cry in the next few moments. I just will. I'll, I'll, t I'll tell you. Number one, um, in that you have a lay person who's here uh, week in and week out. He also serves as your treasurer. His name is Andy Miedema. And Andy is, he actually works on my staff at the GLR as our CFO. And Andy is one of the most incredible men of God who, um, he thinks that spreadsheets are sexy, <laughs> which is weird. But then on top of that, he actually really wants to see the church expand. And it's not about hoarding money. It's about investing money into the kingdom. And Andy, I'm so thankful for you. But second thing that happened is, is that um, as of tomorrow, our little neck of the woods, our little GLR, is moving into what we're calling a ministry center. And um, it's going to happen to be where our offices are. But it's really a place where pastors can come and just be prayed over and be ministered to. And uh, I had a vision for that place of what I wanted it to be. And I explained that vision to Andy's wife, Amanda. And two nights ago, I walked into the space. I, I specifically didn't, I wasn't there for a couple of months. I didn't want to see it. And it was like, for those of you who are into this, I was actually in Waco, Texas, no lie, like 10 days ago. And it was just like I was at, just like a, a Chip and Joanna Gaines thing where we had a reveal on Friday night. And, um, and I walked in that place and I couldn't stop crying because Amanda nailed it. And she created this beautiful, beautiful space where the Holy Spirit is already dwelling. And um, every once in a while, we're just surrounded with, by people who have amazing gifts and we don't even know it. And... Uh, I won't have the opportunity in this size of a place to thank her publicly like I do this morning. And since she's sitting on the third row and she can't throw something at me right now, though she wants to, can you, and I, uh, there you go. 
Amanda, I'm deeply grateful. And can we just thank Amanda for me and just thank her for what she's done because she's done an amazing thing. Holy Spirit of God, we come now and we just ask you, speak into our hearts now. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. God, we want what you have for us. We don't want to miss it. And so help us, God, to stay tuned to you and what you, Holy Spirit, want to say to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So what's a physical characteristic or personality characteristic that you have of maybe one of your parents? See, this giant gap that I have the size of the Mississippi in my teeth actually comes from my dad. And I have two older brothers, and for some reason, nobody ever thought of braces. Now, I don't know why. It just was a character quality of our house. Like this, you know, you just are going to go through life with this giant gap in your teeth. Um, and so, you know, but and how many of you have ever had this experience where you said to yourself when you were young, when I'm older, I'm never going to do that? Because your parents said it. And then you find yourself older, and what are you doing? The very thing you said you would never do, right? It's just so easy to take on the personality characteristics of our parents. Now, here's the thing. When we open up our hearts to a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the things that's supposed to happen is, is that we're supposed to become more like him. His character qualities are supposed to become our character qualities. Who he is, we're supposed to become. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, we're always going to be perfect, although I believe that he invites us into a place where we can become more and more like him and sin less and less and less. I absolutely believe that. But when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, he invites us, again, to take on these characteristics that match who he is. That is his invitation to us. That's what he wants us to do. And this morning, I just want us to look at one of those values, one of those characteristics, if you will. And it comes out of Paul's letters, a guy by the name of Apostle Paul, who writes to some people that live in a city called Galatia. And this is what he says to them. The Holy Spirit, who is one of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. In other words, these kind of character qualities in us. And the first one he mentions is what? What's the word? Great. Four of you can actually read. I'm so proud of you. Okay. No, the first one is actually love. See, Jesus said that love is supposed to be something that's going on in our life. Look what Jesus said. The night before he was going to be crucified, he's got his disciples around him, and he says this, so I'm going to give you a new commandment tonight. Love each other. Disciples, I'm inviting you to begin to love each other. Just say those words with me. Here we go. Love each other. Say it again. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus said love would be the distinguishing factor of his followers. It was going to be the thing. Just as I have a gap in my teeth that proves that I came from my dad, in the same way, the distinguishing factor that you and I are in a relationship with God is that we're loving other people. John, who is one of Jesus' disciples, takes Jesus' words from what is called the Last Supper, and he expands on it. And this is what he said in 1 John. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. 
For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, at first, this concept of loving people sounds pretty easy until, until we get to the point where we don't get to choose who we love. Like, if we just got to choose who we love, woohoo! piece of cake. People that like us, people that treat us well, people that are nice to us, if that's who we get to love, woo, piece of cake. Got that down, cross that off the mark, it's not a problem. But I don't think that's what the Bible says. Jesus didn't say, hey, a new commandment I give you, I want you to love people that you really like. Love people that look like you, that treat you well all the time, that are really nice to you all the time. Yeah, those people you love. Everyone else you can hate. But that's not what Jesus said. So let me ask you this question. How many of you have made a mistake at least once in your life? The rest of you are lying and you're in church, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Okay, now, how many of you have made a big enough mistake that at least once in your life that you wouldn't want it like put up on the big screens here in church? How many of you made at least one mistake that you wouldn't want to have up on the screens? Okay, so what point is that? Why am I making that point? Because we all have areas in our life. We all have moments in our life when we have not been at our best, when we have not done our best, when we, if I can say it this way, have not been a person that was easy to love. And yet, God still loved us. And he invites us in to loving other people when they are difficult to love. When God invites us to be like him in loving people, he's inviting us to love people who are not necessarily easy or deserving of our love. Which brings us to the passage of this morning's message. See, when Matthew writes about Jesus' birth, he talks about Jesus' heritage because Matthew writes his book to a Jewish audience. Luke wrote his book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, to a Greek audience. Matthew writes his gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew writes his to a very Jewish audience, and he wants to prove to them in his book that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. So as a result of that, he goes back to the very, uh, to that point, the most well-known Jew. And that's where he starts his genealogy. That's where he's, now here's the thing about genealogy. Genealogy, if you ever have a problem with insomnia, not a problem. Just look up a genealogy in the Bible and you'll be asleep in five seconds. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. But I want us to look at what he says here. Don't fall asleep on me because it's actually going to get a bit interesting. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Just, you're falling asleep already, aren't you? Like you just, you can just feel it. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And we're, we'll just keep going. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Mimadab was the father. Can you imagine going through life with that kind of name, by the way? Just stocks, just Nashon. Okay, Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose name was Ruth. Whose, excuse me, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now, when we just read that in our Bibles, we just think, okay, whatever. So he's just giving us a list. It's no big deal. But when, the, when people first heard that list read to them, because understand, when this was written down, 
most people, many people could not read. And certainly they didn't have iPads and certainly they didn't have books and certainly they didn't have like a Bible, like some, no, no, no. You would go to church, you'd go to synagogue and you would listen to the Bible read. So when, most, when people first heard this read, what I just read to you would have been scandalous to them. I know that's hard for you to believe. Think of something, you know, I don't know if, like, if I dropped the F-bomb right now, like if that would have been scandalous, don't worry, I won't. But what I just read to you would have been scandalous. Might as well, might as well put something really, really inappropriate up on a screen somewhere. That's how the people would have heard that. Why? Because Matthew represents two people. Now you gotta understand, in most genealogies, the moms were not mentioned. I don't think that's right, I don't think that's fair. As a matter of fact, I think that's incredibly sexist because we all know that, I mean, to get pregnant is easy. Now, again, I'm not saying that harshly. My wife and I went 16 years in infertility hell. So don't misunderstand that. To have sex, a dog can have sex. To have sex is not hard. To deliver a baby, oh my gosh. Is there any question that women are the stronger sex walking around the face of the planet? Okay, okay. So I don't think it's right, but the truth of the matter is, is that women were very rarely mentioned ever in genealogies. But Matthew mentions four, and two of them, their stories are scandalous. So here we go. We're going into PG-13, our rated movie. Here we go. You ready? We're going to read this. And it's a, it's a very long passage of scripture. I apologize, but you got you to get the context here of Tamar. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam where he stayed with a man named Hiram. He's just, he, he, he walks into a place, a city that he doesn't know. And it's not that, I don't mean this weird. He, uh, Judah is not homosexual. He's not bisexual. He's going to a place and there weren't hotels there. So he really, he would have stayed with Hira's family. So he, he just needed some place to live as he's beginning to establish himself in this new place. And there he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. And when he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And he named the boy Ur. And then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. And she named him Onan. And when she gave birth to her third son, she named him Shelah. And at the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kiza. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named who? Tamar. Okay? Remember, she's in that list that we just read. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, go and marry Tamar as our, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. Stop. So his elder brother has died and his lineage, his elder brother's lineage will not continue. So it was typical then for the younger brother to have sex with his older brother's wife, produce a male child out of which then that lineage would continue. Now I know that that sounds as foreign as Mandarin Chinese to us, I get that. But that was the way that life worked in this day and age. Okay, next. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. 
So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This, this is like the first idea of condoms, only worse. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Don't tick God off in this story. Just kill you, okay? Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, now understand, Judah's got two sons that are now dead that have both been married to the same gal. Okay? Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid of Shelah. He was afraid that Shelah would also die like his two brothers. Like he saw her as like a black widow. Right? So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Some years later, Judah's wife died. So now dad's. His wife is dead. So dad's now single. And after the time of mourning was over for his wife, Judah and his friend, Hira, the Adamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of a sheep. So obviously, he's, he, he, so many people, obviously, in this day and age, were agrarian in nature. So he made his money by having sheep, right? So he's got to go shear his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear a sheep. Now remember, Tamar's living at her parents' house. There's nowhere else for her to live. There were not apartments for young ladies or women who had been widowed to go live. So they had, they, they, there was no social security. There was no welfare. There was no none of that. So they, they would, she would have been destitute. She would have been out on the street unless she went home to her parents' house. So her, her, her father-in-law said, go home to your parents' house. And when my next son gets old enough, then I'll have him marry you. Tamar was aware that Shayla had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enim, which is on the road to Tim Timnah. And Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute. And said so she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. Well, how much will you pay me to have sex with you? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send me the goat, she asked. She's no dummy. Well, what kind of guarantee do you want, he replied. She answered, leave me your identification seal. In other words, your driver's license in this day. Matter of fact, it's kind of like your driver's license and your Capital One credit card. It's really what it is. Leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you're carrying. So Judah gave them to her. And then he had intercourse with her, and she became pregnant. Aha. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. She goes back to daddy's house, and now she's living with her parents. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adamite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee. He wants his license and his credit card back. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the man who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute who is sitting beside the road at the entrance of Enia? We've never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hera returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed that they've never had a shrine prostitute there. Well, then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back again to look for her. Again, Judah has no idea that the prostitute that he slept with was his daughter-in-law. Clueless. Clueless man. There's something that should be said about that, but I'll go on. About three months later, Judah was told, hey, 
Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. And now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. And by the way, he had the right to do that. But as they were taking her out to kill her, can you imagine that? They've grabbed her. She's on her way out. Someone's got a torch. They're going to kill this young gal. She sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord are walking and, and walking stick are these? Judah recognized him immediately and said, Tamar is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. But when the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was actually carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand and the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. But then he pulled, his, he pulled back his hand into her womb and out came his brother. What, the midwife exclaimed? How did you break out first? So he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born. By the way, Perez means break out. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born and he was named Zerah. Can you imagine that story really happened? And it did. And these guys, Judah and Tamar, are part of Jesus' genealogy. Now, why in the world would Matthew I mean, put that in? Judah is a jerk. Judah is a liar. Judah's got a problem. Judah's got a problem with his thought life and then his action life. Judah's got an anger issue. Tamar is the, is the innocent person in this story. Judah's a jerk. And yet, Matthew includes Judah and Tamar in that. But Judah's not the only one. Back to Matthew 1. Remember what we read just a few moments ago? Seven was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba, another R-rated tale. David's king, and in the spring of every year, kings would go out to war. So it was springtime, and... and David's army, Israel, was going to go out and fight some folks. But the generals of David's army said, you know what? David, you're getting a little bit older, not quite as fast as you used to be, number one. And number two, this is such an easy, easy thing. We all, we'll be able to take care of it. You stay here, back at the palace. We, we've got this one. So you would think that David would hang out at the palace and then pray for his troops and ask God to help and bless his troops. One day, David is walking around the roof of his palace, which is probably three or four stories up. So he can see everybody living around him because no one else has got that tall of a, of a house. And he looks down and he can see over the fences of all the people that live around him. And he looks down and he, see this, he sees this young woman by the name of Bathsheba bathing, taking a bath. And of course, what he does is he just immediately turns his head and stops looking. It's not what he does at all. He actually sends an attendant down to get her. 
ooh, I like what I just saw. I want her. I'm going to take her. And she comes to his house, and he basically rapes her. And then she gets pregnant, and she kind of lets him know, hey, I'm pregnant. And then David arranges for her husband, Uriah, who is a soldier in his army. He is out fighting on David's behalf. And he arranges to have that guy killed. David is a jerk. And the only thing that saves David was that when he was confronted with his behavior, he was humble and teachable enough to confess the incredible sin that he had committed and repent of it. You can read that in Psalm 51. So why does Matthew mention Tamar and Bathsheba when he didn't have to? In fact, as you look over the list, most of the wives weren't mentioned at all. The reason that Matthew included him is because God's love is wide enough to take in both the victim and the victimizer. See, it's easy for us to love the victim. How easy is it for us to love the victimizer? Jesus commanded you and I to love people. The problem is we don't get to pick and choose who we love. He's invited you and I to love people that have hurt us, that have mistreated us, that have done things against us, that we're not kind, that we're not nice. He's invited you and I to love people that quite frankly do not deserve our love because we do not deserve the love of our heavenly father. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that God's forgiveness of us is predicated on our willingness to forgive other people. Hear that. God's forgiveness of us is predicated on our willingness to forgive other people. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. See, can I just say this though? Choosing, and this is so key, choosing to forgive someone and love them is not saying that what the other person did was right. That is key. We're not saying that what they did was right. It doesn't mean that they get full access to our lives. It doesn't mean we don't put up healthy boundaries. Nor does it mean that there aren't consequences. The victimizer does not get off scot-free. If they get off scot-free here, then we can trust that there will be a day when they stand before God and God will have his way with them. Romans 12, 9. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge. I'll pay them back. Our invitation from God and our responsibility is to learn to love as he loves. So let me ask you, who is it in your life that's hard to love? An ex-spouse? A former business partner? Someone who was a dear friend? They did some things that were hurtful. You let them in. You let them into your heart. You let them into your life. And they hurt you. 
a former boss? Maybe a child? Are you carrying that around with you? Jesus is inviting you to be free of that. Um, I mean, it's weird, but our society, our, like the, the society that we live in, in the church world, goes through worship songs like they're water. Like we're always singing a new worship song. And so back when dinosaurs roamed the earth about five or six years ago, there was this song that we were singing called, It's Your Breath in My Lungs. So I pour out my praise, I pour out my praise. Now, of course, we don't do that song anymore because it's five years old. We would never do a song that's five years old. That would be anathema. That would just be awful. Why would we ever do a song that's five years old? Um, for some reason, I was, reading, I was reading in John chapter 20 and 21, excuse me, John 18, 19, and 20 last week for, just for my devotions. And, uh, and I was reading where they literally whipped Jesus. The soldiers whipped Jesus and put a crown of thorns on his head and then nailed him to the cross. And for some reason, what struck me is, is that it was his breath in their lungs. The only reason they had breath in their lungs was because he put it there. And yet they were taking that breath and they were whipping him with it. They're putting a crown of thorns on his head. They were nailing him to a cross. He could have, in an instant, killed him. It was his love for you and his love for me that caused him to love even the people that crucified him. Can I lovingly say to us, as awful as some people have been to us, they haven't nailed us to a cross. And the invitation by Jesus is to love as he loves. Even those people in our life that are difficult to love. And so the worship team's gonna sing a song. And the only thing we want you to do during this song is just reflect for a few moments and say, okay, God, just ask the Holy Spirit. God, is there anyone in my life that I'm holding a grudge against that I'm holding that I'm refusing to love? Is there someone in my life that I've just kind of said, eh, I love them, but I'm not gonna love them. And Holy Spirit's inviting you in this moment to say, would you let me bring healing to that? So, worship team, would you sing for us? And again, use this time just to ask Holy Spirit, is there anyone in my life that I'm holding love from?